Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Hello, Bitcoin friends. I recorded this interview at the Hackers Congress in Parallelnepolis in Prague at the beginning of October. My guest is Uri Bednar. He's a co-founder of the Parallel Nepolis Place in Prague and in Bratislava, which is actually just 60 kilometers from Vienna. Uri was talking at the Hackers Congress about financial surveillance and crypto utopias. And in his talk, he's showing how the banking system works and how financial transactions are surveillanced. We are covering a lot of very, very interesting topics. Also, why Parallel Nepolis is only using cryptocurrencies. So you can go there for a coffee, but then you have to pay with crypto. And if you don't want to do that, you leave again. And he says, that's a great way to filter out people who do not have an open mind. And he also tells us a little bit about hacks, how to better up your financial privacy again. And don't forget, you can find me also on Twitter and on LinkedIn, where I post the new episodes and other news from the space. And please subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast platform. Okay, that's that. And now enjoy. I'm here with Uri Bedna. Hello. Nice to meet Hello. you. Hello. Thanks for having me. Uh, Uri, um, I think, is one of the co-founders of Parallelnepolis in uh, Prague. And um, before we start, please introduce yourself. What did you do before you got into this space? Uh, so I'm an entrepreneur in IT, uh, lately mainly IT security. Um, I started a few penetration testing companies, hacking companies, and then a bug bounty program. Uh, so I was always involved in, uh, uh, in security and crypto. Um, and I also like freedom, so I uh, I was always looking for ways to increase my personal freedom and maybe help others to do the same. Uh, so that's how it nicely ties, uh, because uh, crypto, uh, cryptocurrencies, uh, IT security and freedom is basically one triangle. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very connected, that's true. So when did you hear about Bitcoin the first time? Uh, I don't remember the, the exact year, but I remember I got a few Bitcoin for a $20 bill that I mailed someone with a physical envelope. So that was uh, the how to exchange back then. So it was quite early. And um, then I, um, I read the white paper. I thought that it's a huge innovation in uh, computer science. At first so I didn't know much about money and if it can function so I uh, met with a friend who is uh, an economist of Austrian school of economists and I spoke to him for two hours I explained how it works technically and I asked him asked him if uh, if it can work uh, as money um, he said probably not but <laughs> he's uh, still open Now he changed his mind and he's very enthusiastic about crypto as well. So uh, for me, it was from from the technical and algorithmical side, but now I'm appreci appreciating um, also the monetary and the freedom and the liberation side. Mm -hmm. uh, can it be? I mean, you're you're from the Czech Republic. From Slovakia. From so ah, from Slovakia. Yes. Uh, can it be that the interest uh, in being self-sovereign is here a little bit higher than in, like, say, Western countries because of your uh, political uh, political history? Uh, it depends on who you ask. I think that uh, it kind of polarizes people. So there are a lot of people that are very privacy focused and freedom focused because they experienced uh, totalitarian regime and communist regime. And that's true. That's how I feel. There are many people that uh, feel different. So so I wouldn't generalize, but uh, there is um, uh, among the, the uh, young uh, people who... Uh, 
who enjoy freedom and, and liberty, um, uh, it's kind of, uh, they're, they're looking for ways that are kind of polar opposite to communism because we have tried that. And even those that don't remember it, I, I, I was, uh, seven years old when the regime fell, but, uh, there was a aftermath. Of course, I lived in it, uh, Uh, but I also know what happened to my parents, to, to my grandparents, how, how they lived, what, what they were afraid of. And, um, uh, I totally knew, uh, so you live in Vienna. So, so for us, uh, we knew that there's a certain part of Bratislava and there's a river. And on the other side, we could see Austria. We could see, uh, you know, that there's something else on the other side, but we couldn't cross it. And it, it was, uh, unimaginable. And I remember that when the borders opened, uh, we immediately drove to Heinburg just to see, oh, this is the West and you can buy, uh, um, uh, I don't know, a cassette player or something. So, so I, I think uh, what it makes us appreciate is just the possibility to travel, to speak what we want. And, and, and this is great. So uh, maybe um, uh, if you let me, <laughs> uh, uh, this uh, nicely ties to concept of parallel police because parallel police uh, is a concept that uh, was invented during this communist regime. And its goal was how to survive in a, in a, society that is not entirely free or not as free as we would like it. So a lot of people, when they um, see the current parallel police, which is a building in a nice part of Prague and uh, another building in a nice part of Bratislava, um, and we only take cryptocurrencies here, we can talk about the physical space uh, right now, but a lot of people, they just say, oh, that's, uh, you know, that's a feature of uh, modern liberal democracy that you can even think about doing something like this. And this is not the case. So, so parallel society was, uh, was a way to deal with, uh, with repression. So, uh, the, the inventor of the concept said that, uh, uh, there are many ways how you can deal with, uh, with totalitarian regime. One of them is revolution, uh, that's, uh, either very violent or very costly, usually both. And he didn't want to do that. He was a humanist and, Uh, he didn't want to cause bloodshed and, you know, uh, kind of ignite this revolution. Um, there is a way which you can enter the communist party and change it from within, which was not his way either, uh, because he was already, uh, part of, uh, Czechoslovak descent. So that, that was entirely not an option. And the third option is, um, you, Uh, try to find ways how you can exercise your freedom, the rest of the freedom that, that, that you have. So the strategy is um, that you do everything that the regime requires of you. So you don't go directly against it. So you end up in jail. So, so if, uh, if there's, um, For example, if they force you to uh, take a particular job, you take it because otherwise you would go to jail. You, you, if you, which is uh, still the case uh, today, um, if you have children, you have to send them to school. There is no way around it. It's mandatory. So you do because then if you don't, uh, they can take your children and it's not a nice thing. But what you can do is, okay, you send your children to the state school Uh, but in the evening you can uh, gather some children from the neighborhood and you can teach them something else, something from, from West, some, some leaked information. Uh, you can, you can create an evening school and parallel police is, um, police meaning, uh, not cops, <laughs> uh, but, uh, uh, a city from, from Greek or the smallest, uh, uh, societal unit, let's say. So it's creating this parallel social structure uh, that increases your freedom within uh, a society that is not as free as you would like. So his original idea, we, we took uh, most of it. So his original idea was they were performing uh, private uh, religious practice because uh, during communist regime, uh, uh, the 
official state religion was uh, atheistic materialism. So I'm not religious, but that was important for them back then. Um, uh, spreading of information, which was very important because back then, even among dissent, the, the information spreading was um, uh, hierarchical. So the most important uh, people got the, the information first and then they were spreading. So Václav um, Benda said, screw it. The person that can make the most copies in the shortest time gets the information and let's just spread it as fast as possible. Uh, they created uh, parallel economies, which uh, people today call black markets because they were not allowed uh, back then. Uh, then there was uh, parallel culture, so underground uh, bands, underground uh, books and so on that were straightforwardly banned so you could you know you could go to a village and perform a concert but no one could knew about oh no one outside of the parallel society could knew about it uh so that's uh i think i forgot one more but uh, parallel education I, i mentioned that so so parallel police is basically trying to do the same thing we are thankfully not living under a totalitarian regime but there are still ways how we can increase our freedom. So that's what we are trying to do here. Mm -hmm. And when did this start here in Prague? Uh, in Prague, five years ago. Uh, and in Bratislava, it was last year. So we, we have one year anniversary. And how did people here gather the money to rent or buy this building? Um, it's rented uh, uh, in Prague. Um, so... Um, The, the 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 whole idea was um, uh, performed by a group of artists, uh, which means that uh, uh, as artists they're completely crazy. So uh, so we wanted to rent uh, one room, like this one small room that we are sitting in, and you know maybe maybe show our art. We are doing uh, controversial uh, art in public spaces, and you know talk with our fans about it or something like that so that was the plan then uh, some members of the group uh, saw this nice three-story building with a basement <laughs> and everything and just signed the contract and then we said okay uh, the, like uh, you know um, all of the artists we, we were kind of putting money together and they were like okay I can pay 10 euros per month <laughs> or something like that so so we we needed to Uh, to create a business plan. Um, so we are looking about what services we can provide and kind of make it self-sustainable, so, which I'm really glad that we did because um, especially in the, in, uh, in the East, um, uh, there is uh, like people perceive uh, in a non-profits, they, uh, people perceive money as a problem and uh, i think money is very important it's information if we are doing something for people uh, if like if no one is willing to give us money to do what we want to do then we shouldn't do it probably we are not doing a good job so um even before parallel police i started a hackerspace in bratislava and uh, we always use the same principle if we don't have money it doesn't mean that you know the world's world hates us and you know everyone is uh, against us or something it means that we are not doing a good job and we need to find how how to better serve the people that we are for so uh so parallel police uh, uh does a, f a few things uh it is a non-profit so we attract board members who are private people who who help finance this project uh we also have a Uh, crypto only cafeteria which is called bitcoin coffee uh, the goal is not only to sell coffee but it's like a reception where people uh, can try the uh, using cryptocurrencies for the first time and because we don't sell for euros or check rounds it means that uh, we call it uh, that uh, that the customers have to go through crypto initiation or some some people call it crypto torture <laughs> Um, but um, 
what I realized, I've, I have done many talks about uh, Bitcoin and I said, uh, I, I realized that it either takes one or two hours of me speaking to a microphone or 10 minutes actually showing people how to use it and buy coffee with it. So, um, so it's very effective way to uh, not only introduce people to crypto, but it has very important effect. And that is that we kind of... Uh, filter for people who have open mind. So uh, if like there are maybe a third of people right now, it was, the number was higher, but right now a third of people when they realize they need to just buy some funny coins and install an app or something, they will just turn around and leave and they go to a different cafeteria. And again, at first we perceive this as a problem. But it's not a problem because we don't want those people here either. When when the time is right and they change their mind, they're free to come. But this place is for uh, for kind of um, helping people open their heads into uh, into doing things differently and increasing their freedom. So if they're not willing to spend 10 minutes, it's not even 10 minutes, it's less, but let's say 10 minutes installing a wallet and buying crypto and paying with it, uh, then then they're not the right fit for us. And uh, which cryptocurrencies do you take or accept here? In Prague, I believe Bitcoin, Litecoin. Uh, we also take Lightning Network payments and I think Monero, I'm not sure. In Bratislava, we're where I live and I, I know it better. It's Bitcoin, Litecoin, also Lightning. Uh, and I believe we take also Monero, Zcash and a few others. We we actually have a terminal that accepts, for example, Dash. But since we only got one Dash payment, it's more a problem for us. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, around... Half, maybe 60% of people use Litecoin because of the fees. Uh, because two years ago we had a problem that, uh, the coffee was 10 times cheaper than the transaction fee. So we had to do something. Lightning network was not ready. So we started pushing Litecoin back then. Now we are trying to introduce Lightning payments and we are trying to help people on board, open channels with us and so on. So right now, actually, most members that are, or uh, Stammgasts <laughs> mm -hmm. um, are regular guests. They usually use Lightning because they have a channel with us. Um, uh, but uh, still, we accept even on-chain payments and Litecoin. That's the most common. And also, I can go to Bratislava uh, to exchange fiat currency to Bitcoin. You have also an ATM there. Yes, we have an ATM. Um, we have two ATMs, actually. They're not owned by uh, police uh, because we don't want to deal with cash and uh, doing uh, all the maintenance and... and no, no, I don't think it's much about regulation. I'm not sure about regulation, like regulatory status, but you need to take the cash sometimes and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, do something with it. So uh, that's not what we would like to deal with. We are using crypto because we don't want to deal with cash. So we kind of outsource this, but definitely you can. So, so. A lot of people, of course, they don't have crypto, so they need a way to get it in order to become our customers. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, yes. great. So um, you're also having a talk today or tomorrow, I think? Tomorrow, yes. Uh, and it's called uh, Financial Surveillance and help me now. Crypto Utopias. <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. And what is it about? Uh, so I started to look at... Uh, all the buzzwords that uh, banks but also crypto exchanges require of us uh, i i have been using international banking even before crypto i i, I had uh, several companies in different countries and even back then um, it was quite a big problem sometimes bank would ask uh, that they want to see an invoice and contract for a payment they uh, asked me where i got my money from and so on Uh, so I got interested and uh, uh, I realized that even people in crypto, they just 
do what the what the bank or the or the crypto exchange wants uh, from them so if they say okay upload uh, an identity card or utility bill or something they do it but they don't understand what is happening to to this information to this data so um so i started to dig deeper okay so they want this information from me uh not only about my identity but also about my transaction So what do they do with it? Where, where does it end? Do they send it to my government? Do they send it to the police? Uh, do they sell it somewhere? And uh, I started to investigate. I met with several people from uh, from banks actually that uh, um, that uh, are responsible for these systems, so for risk and fraud detection, uh, anti money laundering, and all those things. And I asked them, uh, not exactly how they uh, uh how they evaluate the risk so so how do they know that you're laundering money which is the, something i don't i don't like this term but that's how they call it or uh, but but what i wanted to learn is uh when when they think that something like this is happening what happens to the information do they just block it or do they send it somewhere and where and uh, and uh, so Basically, uh, I'm uh, uh, talking about um, the results of this investigation. I realized that the financial sector is overregulated, uh, but to my surprise, most of the regulations do not come from governments. They are uh, either a network self uh, self regulation. Um, by the payment networks. So, for example, a really good example is uh, in Panama. Uh, after Panama Papers, uh, it is very hard to do international payments. And one of the reasons is that uh, Panama is using US dollar. They don't have their own currency. So every international payment has to go through the Federal Reserve and through an intermediary bank. So these banks, there are three big banks that act as intermediaries for uh, US dollar uh, transactions. Uh, these three banks, they make up the regulations for the Panamanian banks. So even though Panamanian law doesn't uh, say what kind of anti-money laundering checks they have to do, it's the banks that, that regulate these transactions. And it's very difficult. We, we had a friend uh, trying to send uh, money to her daughter in Spain. It was 800 euros and the bank stopped it because of money laundering. So so it's uh, in in some countries uh, it's really crazy and uh, all of this is happening not because it's written in some law it's because uh, of risk avoidance of banks and so on another very interesting uh, example would be an organization that is called uh, um, uh, FATF or GAFI in uh, in French uh it's financial action task force Um, that's uh, officially an independent think tank that uh, resides in the uh, in the offices of uh, um, uh, of OECD in Paris. So that they're physically located in Paris, and um, it's an organization that uh, uh, that provides recommendations for financial institutions on how to deal with money laundering. Uh, so. These are recommendations by an independent think tank. It's not a governmental organization. It's not even part of OECD. It's it's a think tank. We can start a non-profit, call it a think tank, and uh, that's what it is officially. Um, and one of the things that they maintain is um, uh, the list of suspicious countries, uh, or called gray list. They also have a black list, but I think only North Korea and maybe one or two countries are on the blacklist but there are some countries that are um, on the gray list uh, currently panama is one of them and i i know panama quite well because um, i i um i travel there and i i know the the banking situation because it's a good lab to test all my assumptions for uh, for this research so uh, so what happened that uh, when panama Uh, uh got reintroduced into into this gray list 
um, the banks uh, lost most of their intermediary banking connections, meaning they cannot do international transactions. As you just cannot. Uh, it's not blockchain. It's not how the uh, traditional banking works. So, so it's just. Um, uh, um, it just. Uh, uh, that they're totally dependent on um, uh, on having an intermediary bank, and uh, all or most of the banks uh, they require compliance even with these recommendations. So it's again, it's not a law. It's not something that uh, you know any any members of parliament voted for. It's a it's a recommendation by a group of five people sitting. In an office in Paris, and the, and it's enforced on the whole world because um, uh, the enforcement the the enforcement is uh, based on this network effect of the payment network. So um, if you want to interact within a, within a banking system, you have peers. So so uh, actually, international banking is very peer to peer. One uh, usually some of the peers are central banks, but uh, it's also uh, also hubs uh, of commercial banks, and most of the commercial banks they uh, enforce uh, these recommendations, uh, blacklist, watch lists. Uh, so, for example, uh, a bank in Slovakia told me that they. Also use uh, uh, blacklists uh, and watch lists from Czech Republic and Germany, even though they don't have to. But if they're part of a banking group and if they are doing uh, payments, they're uh, either required to directly by, by their peers, uh, or it's easier for them because then then they have alibi basically, and they they, they don't need uh, to worry about it because they can always say, oh. Yes, don't worry. We checked against your blacklist as well, and uh, and the transaction is safe. Uh, what the banks are doing is, um, uh, I would say, so in in uh, in the US, if you want to drink outside, it's not as easy as in Europe, um, uh, uh, because it's not allowed to drink alcohol outside. So what would happen is that uh, you would take a paper bag and you would put the bottle with alcohol and you would drink. All the all the police outside they know that you're drinking. It's not a secret. Why would you put you know mineral water in in a paper bag? But uh, they have an alibi because it's not obvious. So they don't want to deal with you, and then um, then the rule doesn't apply. So this is exactly what is happening, and it's very important for crypto people to understand because a lot of people in crypto they think that banks they don't want to deal with uh, crypto exchanges because you know they think that crypto threatens their business or something. No, it's uh, it's. Ba- Exactly this principle. They they need uh, uh, to have their backs covered. They need to show off that they um, uh, kind of prevent uh, what they can see. So so if you're a retail bank and someone is doing transactions and they're uh, paying two euros per month for for an account, it's not worth for them. They they just cancel your account. And uh, it's also the same with uh, with these rules. So so the paperback um, analogy is very similar to my experience when I um, tried to open a bank account uh, in a, a foreign to me a European country. I went to them and I went through the anti money laundering questionnaire. And the the officer in the bank, the the uh, my my account manager actually. He needed to fill this source of funds form and everything. And the first thing he said, please answer only yes or no. I don't care about, you know, your life story or how your business went or something. I need to fill this form. And what he was basically saying is, Please keep your alcohol in the paperback. You know, I I I know that it's possible that you know you didn't pay taxes on this. I know that it's possible that uh, you don't know how to uh, how to explain the source of funds. But if we don't talk about it, it's okay. I I don't need to. I I'm not actually here to uh, uh, here to 
judge or stop any money laundering, I need to fill the paper so I can show the regulator and the banking peers that I've done done what I what I needed to do. So is that is the very same principle. So so this is very interesting for me that uh, that um, most of uh, anti money laundering and tax evasion and offshore is enforced through the banks. They can be very effective if they want to, but they don't want to. If they want you as a client, uh, if you're paying enough, then they will have you as a client. If, you know, if, if you say upfront that you want the free account and uh, even get some positive interest rate and you're suspicious, forget about it. You know, we, we don't want to risk having you so so that's a two-class society too here yeah yeah, yeah sadly yes but, but uh what you were talking about now so you had a human being you talked to this guy uh, yes. but if everything is digital you don't have this gray space do you you don't exactly yeah. and th and that's the problem that uh, people are are having these days um things are becoming digital uh, people get their accounts cancelled and they cannot talk to a human being so that happened to uh, to several of my friends they just got a letter from from the bank which said sorry we you know, we cancel our contract you know you, you have two months to withdraw your money and we don't want to deal with you anymore because you are a business risk even if they say that you're a business sometimes they don't say and you have no one to call to you know that's some back office decision and and it's a problem so what is interesting about this as well is that um uh especially in Europe this is a big problem it's not such a big problem in the US for example but uh, or or Panama so in Panama half of adult population doesn't have a bank account And it's not a problem because it's a cash society. You can you can buy a villa at the beach with cash. It's totally common. It's totally not a problem. You always can see a su suitcase full of money. Uh, in Europe, if someone brought a suitcase full of money, you would panic and you would probably leave because that's, uh, you know, about cash limits and... Um, even private people, uh, oh, sorry, uh, uh, companies that are not financial in institutions, in many cases, they have to do um, AML and source of funds. So, for example, real estate agents, right now, they have to investigate where you got your money from. So, so it's uh, kind of very different. You cannot use cash, even if you wanted to for some kinds of transactions. So... That's one thing. You need a bank account in order to function in the society. If you cannot buy a laptop in France, in France, the cash limit is 1,000 euros. So you cannot buy a MacBook Pro uh, with cash. It's not possible. You need either a credit card or, or a bank account. Um, so on one hand, uh, you need uh, a bank account to function in the society. On the other hand... Uh, These are all, all, all private companies. You cannot force a private, comp a private company to have you as a client. So, so the bank uh, wouldn't say you're a bad person. They say you're not good fit for us. Please go to the competition. But if the competition says the same thing, then then you have a problem. So basically, it's like having no human right to have a bank account. So yes. they say you not. Um, but what you said before, um, it sounded for me like the governments or the state, the nations don't, they regulate, but the banks overdo it in a way. They, they, they regulate more that the government, government yes. wants them to, because if one bank starts and if the FATF says, uh, now you have to do this and that, then all other banks follow. Yes, that's true. And then it's always like, it's like a spiral, always getting uh, narrower. Yes, that's true. And what is also happening, which is also very, very weird and unheard of, is that some countries are enforcing their regulations to other countries. So, so an example would be FATCA, which is um, uh, uh, a law in the US Um that uh, requires foreign banks to identify if someone is an American taxpayer, citizen, uh, or has anything to do with America. So me, I'm, I'm a citizen of a country in European Union, and I find myself 
while opening a bank account or a crypto account, filling an American form that's based on some American law. And I'm not in America. The, the financial institution is not in America and I'm filling this form and I don't understand why is it happening. And the reason it is happening is that the, that they said, okay, all American banks have to do it. If, uh, they want, uh, to send or receive money, uh, with other banks, they have two options. Either the, the, the other institution that can be outside of, of, uh, USA, either they do it as well. So they comply with American law, even if it shouldn't apply to them, or they deduct 30% and send it to the IRS. Mm -hmm. That's how it's enforced. <laughs> so from every transaction. So, wow. so of course, everyone accepts this, uh, this regulation. So it's, uh, it's, Uh, these independent think tanks, of course, uh, national parliaments, European Union. Um, it's other countries that regulate how how we should uh, or or our financial inst institutions sh should do it, and uh, it's several other organizations. So so the landscape is quite complex. It's not uh, not as easy in, uh, as in other industries. So I don't know. Education is usually regulated maybe a little bit by EU a lot by local parliament but you know the US government doesn't say anything about uh, you know Austrian schools they say it's because of anti-money laundering and terrorism but did they catch a terrorist through these uh, laws and regulations do you know that i have uh, never heard of uh, anything like that happening most uh, uh, law enforcers would say Uh, that they would not tell because it's secret or something like that. So, um, but do you think that there are other methods? I mean, are there any ideas or suggestions how uh, authorities could find out criminals and terrorists and stuff without surveilling all of us? I think uh, there have to be because uh, they are not catching uh, any uh, real criminals uh, because they adapt. You know, uh, we have uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, if you, uh, like, uh, for example, Deutsche Bank has been, uh, has been, uh, fined several times because of money laundering. So they're doing it. They just have a high enough fee, uh, in order to cover, cover the fees. So, uh, the, the fines. So I think, uh, it's the same problem, uh, with all, um, all, uh, security. We call it security theater in, in IT security. So, uh, for example, if you go through the airport security, you know, you have to take off your shoes. They scan everything. You cannot bring your water and it's for your safety. Uh, but then there's a real test by something that's called a red team, which is someone who is testing the security. If they can take, uh, something on board and they have 80% success rate. I don't want to know that. <laughs> even even in Slovakia, uh, what happened, they were testing it internally, the, the police, and they were able to uh, take an explosive on board and it landed in London from Bratislava Airport. So so it's security theater. It's because people want to feel safe. And honestly, I think uh, uh, it's not a job of a politician to make you safe because they cannot do it but it kind of is their job to convince you that you're safe so so uh, even even after 9-11 you know they had to do something so people were not panicking that that was their job it was not to catch osama bin laden it was not that their job to really prevent uh, another attack uh, uh, another similar attack because the next attack will be different you know they started using trucks and cars and uh, like every attack can be different because the attackers adapt but what really was their job was to convince people to to feel safe and that's what they're doing i i think that's uh, that's the tactics it's it's not about catching terrorists and criminals it's about uh, making everyone else believe that They're doing something. Which kind of ways can we find as, as people, as, as human beings to opt out of this financial surveillance system? Is there a way? Because, I mean, the common people, they have 
as you said before, you need a bank account for everything, actually. So what is the solution? Is there a solution? Um, there is not one single solution, but there are, there are uh, many pieces of the puzzle that if you, if you com combine them, then you can have a pretty good uh, financial uh, privacy. Uh, of course, uh, what is important here is to distinguish between mass surveillance and targeted surveillance. So targeted surveillance is if a judge signs a warrant and someone really tries to investigate you as a person because you committed something, that is uh, something that you it's not as easy to protect against. Mass surveillance is just recording data of everyone. So the first thing that anyone can do is use more cash whenever it's possible, pay cash. Uh, I know that... Uh, Apple Pay and uh, credit cards and everything. It's very convenient. You don't need to deal with coins, uh, but you're losing financial privacy all the time if you do that. Uh, I don't know about uh, credit card companies, but for example, if you're paying uh, using PayPal with your credit card, PayPal uh, is sharing your private transaction data with more than 600 institutions and private companies they have it on their website you can you can check it I, i didn't make it up it's not a conspiracy theory it's when, when you look actually at the, at the third parties that they uh, send information to they're listed there there's various governments tax offices but also private institution risk analysts uh, marketing organizations and so on so um so The first thing is not to feed the beast with your data. So uh, using cash uh, is great, but you cannot do it online. So um, another uh, thing uh, is to use cryptocurrencies. Um, kind of an intermediary step would be to use prepaid cards, but they're uh, quite limited and they usually uh, you can buy a prepaid credit card i think in vienna in many countries they're not available but no, uh, but in that. austria we've been buying them uh, in austria so you can buy uh, a prepaid uh, debit card with a card number up to 100 euros or something and you cannot recharge it it's just you know you go to um, uh, to uh, a newspaper store and you can it's a, it's a gift card basically so some of them you can use online and it's kind of one-time use uh, thing that you throw away but it's not tied to your identity uh, then of course you can use cryptocurrencies whenever you can um, there are many shops that uh, that accept cryptocurrencies uh, uh, even uh, really big retailers in uh, Czech Republic and Slovakia they take cryptocurrencies it's one of the things that we are proud of that we convinced uh, some of the big players to take crypto and usually if you convince one then the others will follow because they don't want to be left behind um Uh, so uh, using cryptocurrencies directly with uh, with retailers online is nice. What you can also do is use proxy merchants. So there are services like Purse.io, which lets you buy stuff on Amazon with Bitcoin. Does it also work in Europe? Yes, uh, you, you, uh, you need to use um, the UK uh, Amazon. Uh, doesn't work with the German one because of an incident that happened and Uh, they they just stopped supporting the the German website, but you can order from from uh, from uh, from the British Amazon. So and there are more services like that. So you can uh, you can either buy uh, gift cards with crypto on Bitrefill or somewhere else, or use a proxy merchant service like this. And the, you can use tra travel agency that can buy uh, airplane tickets for you and so on. So that's another option how to do it. Of course, hodlers would say, oh, no, I'm not spending my crypto. So what a lot of people even here in parallel police do is that they use crypto for financial privacy. And when they spend it, they buy it back in, in the ATM. So uh, very, very easy strategy, but not everyone uh, kind of gets it that you that you can do something like this. Um, then uh, what I like to do is... Uh, kind of try to use the network effects that uh, uh, that the um, uh, that the banks uh, and all these institutions are abusing to sp uh, spread their financial surveillance to spread uh, the use of crypto 
Uh, so what I do, I'm a, I'm a jerk. So if I go to a lunch with a friend and uh, I pay it with cash and we want to split, uh, I only take crypto <laughs> <laughs> and I only pay crypto and people hate me for it for, for the first time. But then when they when they get their first crypto, they want to use it as well because now they're crypto users. So so it's spreading really fast. So this is actually what we are doing here in Parapolis. We are jerks. We we don't take fiat, and uh, it, it's basically using this effect. So you are getting your crypto always peer to peer. So from somebody else, or uh, do you have a level of money of uh, at the ATM where you can buy it without exchanges without KYC? Yes, you can buy it without KYC up to five thousand euros in Bratislava. Wow. So <laughs> and and that's one transaction. So if you generate a new address, five thousand euros. Yes, I think it's two hundred and fifty in Austria. Oh, that's that's <laughs> not very nice. And what is nice that they cannot tell that when you generate new address that it's the same customer because you don't put in your telephone number mm -hmm. or anything mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. that. But uh, here, uh, a place uh, with a community like Parallelpolis is great for uh, in-person transactions. It's cheaper. You don't need to pay the exchange fees and ATM fees. So it's quite common that someone comes to Parallelpolis and just uh, says loudly that they want to buy crypto if anyone is selling and someone probably will. So that's another option to kind of use these places like Riyadh, Parallelpolis and all these communities just just to get and trade crypto. So does that mean that you only hold uh, crypto or do you also have euros? I mean, for your business, you might need euros too. Uh, yes, uh, I, I'm using crypto more and more for international transactions also in business. Um, uh, I have some euros, uh, uh, but uh, what I just realized, uh, what I can do is another uh, nice hack. Uh, doesn't work with euros, sadly, but uh, I'm kind of uh, willing to take the uh, USD to euro risk. So what, what you can do is uh, uh, if you have euros and you want to migrate to crypto economy, but you don't want to be exposed to the crazy volatility because you want to, uh, you know, survive the next bear market or something like that. What you can do is you can, uh, uh, you can take the, uh, the fiat, uh, buy crypto with it, and at the same time short it on an exchange with, without KYC or a perpetual swap or something like that. What is really interesting is that um, what happens is that you have a, uh, you have crypto, but it stays in the same dollar value, and because uh, the other side, the longs, they're using it to leverage their crypto positions, they're paying you interest rate. So what really happens is that you have a US dollar denominated account in your hardware wallet because you're in crypto, but it's keeping the dollar value because you're short uh, uh, Bitcoin into USD and you're getting an interest rate. It's variable right now. When I was last looking, it's 10% PA, which is something that no bank will ever give you. And you don't need to send the full amount to, to BitMEX or Deribit uh, because you only need the collateral. So to be, to be able to cover the movements, Uh, so most of the money is in your har hardware wallet. So it's, you have total control over it. So, so that's a way how you can uh, uh, kind of replace a, a bank easily. And uh, the last part uh, is um, a lot of people need to pay invoices and for their phone and electricity and rent and everything. So there are services like uh, Lamium uh, in the European Union that uh, allow you to upload the invoice paid with crypto and someone who wants to buy crypto, they will pay the invoice for you. Uh -huh. Never heard so, about that. How is this called? Um, I think Lamium. Okay. Uh, We can put yeah, it in the show yeah, notes. Yeah. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I don't, it's in the bookmark, so I, <laughs> I don't remember, but, um, there are probably more services like this. This is uh, just one option. So you kind of can have access to just simple, uh, payments, uh, without the need of a bank account. In some countries, you can even 
pay a SEPA transfer in the post office. You need to fill the paper form and uh, give them cash, but they will identify you in uh, for for this case. But uh, yeah, what's your favorite cryptocurrency? Bitcoin. And why? Uh, because it's the first one, and uh, 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 the the reason uh, why I like it is the exact uh, reason what I don't like about it, and that is that people are religious about it, and they uh, they kind of not uh, try to uh, not mess with it. There is I, I have to admit that I would like to see more innovation in Bitcoin. But that's the the fact that it's not happening is precisely the reason why I like it because they no one is touching it and doing fork every six months and so on. Um, I also like Monero because I value financial privacy. But the way how I would uh, and how, how I do use Monero is um, I uh, only have a little bit of it and I use it not as a store of wealth. I use it for transactions. So it's really good if you need to pay someone or buy something with it. Um, I use uh, XMR.to uh, for Bitcoin transactions, which I can pay with Monero. So that's, um, that's also nice. So, okay, you can pay with Monero for Bitcoin transactions. So yes. You don't have to exchange it before, you just... Yeah, yeah. Okay. You uh, you can also many Monero wallets. What they what they will allow you to do is to scan a Bitcoin QR code, and the conversion will happen on the background. So it's like a Bitcoin wallet, but it comes from from Monero. So I'm I'm really happy that there is a, a lot of innovation in crypto space and people are experimenting with these things. Uh, but I uh, I still think that. Uh, If people, uh, I I think it's not about features. I think it's about how many people use it and how many people trust it. So even if there's a new super cool cryptocurrency that has a little bit better anonymity, lower fees, or something, I'm not that interested because I know that most people are looking at Bitcoin and it's still the the biggest thing. So so uh, even like people use facebook but they don't use it because it's the best social network but it's because everyone is there so in crypto everyone still means a small group of people but uh, out of the small group of people most have bitcoin even if they have something else as well they uh, for sure have bitcoin Mm -hmm. And was the uh, Lightning Network a new like thing for you where you got enthusiastic about Bitcoin? Um, Lightning Network, uh, I, I also have a love and hate relationship with it. Uh, I think that there are many unsolved problems. Uh, so Parallel Police uh, is only using cryptocurrencies. So I had a... Uh, also internally, so it's not that we accept it uh, from customers, but we also uh, pay wages, pay most suppliers actually with crypto or at least using these gateways. But like we don't keep uh, a huge fiat balance. We we really use it every day. So uh, for example, what we what we do, uh, Parallelpolis often uh, has to pay me uh, if I if I buy, for example. Uh, We run out of coffee. I buy it from the from the supplier. I bring it to Parallel Police, and they need to pay me for the coffee. So I started using uh, Lightning Network for these uh, these transactions, and uh, honestly, it's a pain. Like the it's it was it used to be that it didn't work 80% of the time. Now it's maybe 20% of the time. But it still happens that you know I I uh, tell um, uh, tell our note to pay pay the invoice and it's taking two minutes to find the route and then it says that route not found or something like that. So there needs to be a lot of work done, especially in routing algorithms and also in privacy. What I like about Lightning Network is that um, it allows for. Uh, more innovation that is not happening on chain and also a little bit of smart uh, 
capacity. I'm a, a part of a project called DBank with, uh, with a few friends. I, th I think you have already interviewed them. So I, uh, I wrote a paper on how to do uh, crypto derivatives on top of Lightning Network, which was, uh, which is really a good idea. You can do really nice, innovative things on top of Lightning Network because it kind of uh, gets this uh, additional uh, programmability without the need to pay for huge fees on chain. So, uh, so if anyone is interested in derivatives, uh, I think this is something that is coming to Lightning Network. We will be working on it, but I hope others will as well. It's all open. And uh, this is why I'm really happy that it exists. It probably isn't the best thing for paying for coffee yet. So. <laughs> Are you coming to the Lightning Conference in uh, Berlin in October? Uh, no, I was in the uh, Lightning Hack Day in Munich, which was really nice. Uh, We didn't meet there, huh? No, oh, <laughs> I, I tried to uh, kind of gather some people and uh, yeah. get insight about the, the way how to how to do financial derivatives on top of Lightning. And it was great because I got uh, a lot of great feedback and that's the reason why it happened. So I'm really glad that these events happen. Mm -hmm. Great. So we're coming to an end now. Can you maybe give our listeners uh, some book recommendations or video recommendations on things like Bitcoin in general or crypto anarchy or financial freedom? Yeah. So for financial freedom... Um, I think, uh, my upcoming book will be good. I'm writing it. It's called Financial Surveillance and Crypto Utopias, the same as, as my talk, but it's not out there yet. So, uh, right now for crypto anarchy, I think, uh, books by, uh, Paul Rosenberg are great, uh, about the philosophy, lodging of wafering men is basically, um, the, philosophical pre predecessor to cryptocurrencies and uh, uh, decentralized markets. So so that's a really good book and any other book by by him. Um, he also co-wrote a book with Jonathan Logan um, called The New Age of Intelligence, which talks about surveillance in general and also talks about this networked uh, surveillance and network enforcement so it's a really short nice book to read um, about bitcoin um, i don't read many books about bitcoin because i kind of followed it uh, when it was happening uh, so um, if someone uh, is into computer science then the white paper is great um, a friend of mine alena vranova with several friends wrote a book called little bitcoin book a little book yes, of yes, Bitcoin. Little Bitcoin book. Yes. So I I saw it. I didn't read it, but I'm sure it's great because uh, the authors know what they're doing. So so that would be a, a good good book. And um, YouTube videos. Um, I think uh, recordings from the conference, from this conference, uh, from Hackers Congress Parapolis uh, last year's. Uh, uh, was especially good i hope this year will be great um, and we try to publish uh, all the talks uh, uh, in uh, in parapolis both in prague and in bratislava uh, not all talks are in english but from from the hackers congress most talks are in english so feel free to go to the youtube channel of parapolis there are literally hundreds hundreds of hours of talks not only on bitcoin but also on crypto anarchy and decentralized finance and and all these uh, super interesting topics okay great i will put that in the show notes too great uh so yeah thanks for uh talking with me and maybe you can also tell us where people can find you Uh, so the best uh, place to start is my website, which has all the links to everything. And it's uh, uraj.bedna.io. 
and uh, there you can find me on social networks i don't use twitter much which is weird in the crypto sphere but i i just um kind of uh, um got out of habit of using twitter but uh, you can find me on other social networks and i also blog in english uh if you go to the website and it's not in english you can switch it in the menu so don't be scared i have a lot of content also in english so talks uh, blogs so So great, thank you. Thank you and very I, much for having me. Thanks, and I'm going to um, come to you to Bratislava because Perfect. I want to have a look at your space there. Please do. Thanks, bye. <laughs> thank you, bye-bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. What did you think of the interview? Did it bring you greater understanding of Bitcoin and its people? If yes, and if you want to support my show, Please subscribe to the podcast in your player, leave some stars and share, 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 share on social media. Feel free to contact me on Twitter, LinkedIn and YouTube or send me a voice message via the link on the episode page. Goodbye from Vienna. Auf Wiederhören. Music. Start with Yes. Delicate Beats. Idea, content and production. Yours truly, Anita Posch.